guys what's up so i traveled down to the caribbean this time with my caribbean girlfriends shelly and tula scott and shawnee chambers shawnee's from jamaica and shelly and tula she is from Trinidad. same country as where i am descended from they both graduated from the caribbean school of architecture in Jamaica. I was fantasizing about my life and what could have been. So if my mom and my dad did not come to this country, what path I would have taken? Would I have still done architecture or would I have done something else? Would I have come up to this country or would I have gone to London? What if, right? Another thing too that I learned from our conversation was how it feels to not think about racism because you know in the Caribbean it's more of a colorism than it is racism it's pointed out in in this episode I don't like you because you're black it's because I don't like you because you're you (laughs) which is how it should be right like uh, it you need to do me something. You need to give me a reason to do harm on you or to think less of you. It's also caste system too, but that's that's global. This this racism stuff is really mental and it's purposeful and it's it's dark. I've also been thinking about going down this path and how I need to protect myself in the future. So I don't want this podcast to become about racism, even though it's about black and brown communities. But black and brown communities isn't about just anti-white or it's not about the segregation and the biases. I don't want it to become that way. I don't want it to be encompassed in my mind. With the debates and with everything else that's going on, I am super sensitive and I'm super hyper, I'm super conscious of everything, and I hate that. I just want to do architecture. I just want to get my license, and I just want to do me. Like, I just want to, I want to draw. (laughs) I want to create. I want to look at building materials. I want to, you know, create a new system of some sort. I want to put a green roof somewhere. I don't know. I just want to be an architect, and this country is telling me I am less than, I'm not worthy. And it, it keeps getting at me and it's so exhausting and so frustrating. I don't know how anybody else do. I don't know how other black women are, are, are doing. I don't understand how you ladies are functioning. Because I am struggling to be, to be anxiety. And I don't even want, another thing too is I don't want this podcast to be, even though it, it, it has become my therapy. It's not, I am a holistic person. Okay. I don't whine and bitch and complain about things. You know, I'm, I'm positive, you know, I'm upbeat, I'm all this stuff. And the conversations that I have with my, my friends, these are my friends, it's not with <laughs> this intro is, is not reflective of it we do talk about it and stuff and listening to them and listen to their perspectives has helped me out a lot 
But again, I don't want this podcast to go in this direction. I don't want it to, for you guys to say, oh, poor Melissa. You know, I don't want, this is not what it's supposed to be. But ah, it just, it, it, it's becoming that way. And I need to, I need to have, like, I need to start checking myself or doing something because I can't go down this path all the time. I can't every week or so get on this microphone and like, oh, oh, I'm so, uh, I I don't want to do that. And I will make every effort to do that from now on. And it's not, it's it's that, but it's also me because it's not healthy for me. So I'm sorry about that rant, but I, it's, it's a realization because I start, when I do intros, I just start talking. I may jot down key things from the interview that I don't want to forget and I don't want to miss. But other than that, I just hop on here and I just start talking, blah, blah, blah. It, it's <laughs> it's what I'm feeling at the moment. I, I do apologize for that. But back to <laughs> Shellyanne and Shawnee. So the Caribbean School of Architecture is at the University of Technology and they both did their undergrad there, and then they both did their graduate studies at Florida A&M University. And then from there, they, they talk about all their transpires and stuff like that. So short and sweet, the next two interviews will be with journalists, actually, local journalists, local, like, well, one is local, D.C., and he's not really a journalist, more like a reporter, but I think I call him a journalist. Yeah, I said reporter. He's a reporter. And then the guy was, is, is, I'm going to say is, is a journalist. And then after that, I think I'm going to chill for a little bit. There are two authors that I really want to go after that I want to have a conversation with them. But I also want to be protective of myself because it's going down like DC and gentrification and all that stuff. And the other one, I'm not going to talk about, but it's, it's along those lines of, of that area. I don't think I'm going to do that. What I think I'm going to do is talk to my friends. So I think that if, for those who want me to talk to architects, and I say, I didn't want to talk to architects, but I'll talk to my friends who happen to be architects. So I think I'm going to do that because I can't go down this path. Like, I don't mind talking to my friends about this path because then we'll bring each other back up. And then, oh, and then the election. I'm going to be a mess. Oh, man. Okay. All right. So I'll think about this. I'll think about this to see how everything's going to flow. So, yeah. So here's the episode. Thank you, ladies, for doing this. I loosely wrote some stuff down. Loosely. Normally, I do research, but... I was going to ask you if there was anything specific that you wanted to talk about, because I was like, maybe I need to do some research. I know. I was like, <laughs> I was like let me refresh myself on this school. <laughs> Just remember, back in the day when you were in school, so on the podcast, I've been doing this whole, like, world thing, so I've been talking to a lot of people in London, mm-hmm. and from London, there's, like, people from all over, like, from Africa to... Middle East to like all that. And so then I hopped over to Canada for a little bit, talked to two folks there. And so then I was like, I'm neglecting my own people. I'm <laughs> my own kind. 
So I was like, let me talk to the only two Caribbean women that I know in this field. <laughs> so if you can just say your name and what what country you're representing right now. Right now, well, it never changes Not right now, but where you're from. Where you're from, okay. how's that? Okay, sounds good. Uh, my name is Shani Chambers, and I I was born in Jamaica. Cool part. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I guess be for... Be specific, because this is Black community, so we don't want... Well, my birth certificate says St. Andrew, <laughs> but otherwise, you know, I would tell people I'm from Kingston. That's where I grew up. And I am Tulia Scott, so I was born in Trinidad, um, born literally in Port of Spain, but grew up in Mount Hope slash St. James. So, yeah, that's me. St. James. My family grew up in Belmont. Oh, yeah, that's close by. Yeah. yeah. How did you guys pick architecture? Am I going first? I'm not sure which one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yep, Johnny. Well, I guess it, it kind of was by default. When I, when I was in high school... And by the way, you know, I'll just shout out my high school champion, college. (laughs) And when you got to a certain level, I think it was third form, you got to choose either languages or technical route. And so it was either between French or and uh, technical drafting. And I chose technical Mm -hmm. drafting. And it wasn't that I was not interested in languages, but I, at that time, had grown up seeing my father draw, and he actually did an expansion on our house, and I thought, well, you know, let me try this out, because, you know, I had an interest in it, and so that's what led me on this path, and by the time I I graduated from high school, I, I, I thought I had a, a technical future, and to me, the architecture was actually marrying art and the technical side because, I, you know, in my family, we do have science folks and technical folks, but we also had artists. My father was actually a good carver and he didn't really realize as much of the artistic side of himself, but I think he made an impact on my future choices and he... Uh, made me believe I could do whatever I wanted to do. And even though it was more of a male-dominated field, to a certain extent still is, at least in practice, I chose that route. And here I am. Yeah, I think mine was a little bit similar in that once I got to secondary school and did technical drawing, I was like, I have to do something with this because I loved it. But we did all the different types of technical drawing. So we did like engineering drawing, architectural drawing. And so once I, once I graduated secondary school, for me, I was sold on languages. I was like, I need to do French, Spanish, technical drawing and art. I was like, this is it. But my path sort of took me straight into a drafting program at our technical college. And so I did all the different types of drafting again, you know, surveying, electrical, woodworking, all those types of things on the, the technical side. And from that, I was like, that's it. I want to be an architect. I think from early on, I knew that that's what I wanted to do. And that's almost like the only thing I wanted to do. I couldn't think of anything else that I wanted to do outside of architecture or photography. So the next question was trying to figure out how to pay for it and actually how to do it. So it took me into interior design first and then by around the way into architecture. So that's kind of what took me to where I am now. How did you pick your school? Like, I, okay, so let me go back. And this is 
part of what I know and don't know <laughs> is apply for school, but it could be free, right? Am I? Mm, not for me. I think in Trinidad, at some point, university was, well, it was free for a certain period of time, not during my time, but it was free if you were going to UE. Yeah. So I think for me, I actually accidentally happened upon UTech. I didn't know anything about it. So I did my um, associate degree in interior design in Miami first. And then I was back home. I was like, oh, let me apply to Canada, America, all these countries. And, you know, it was going to be a longer program, like a three-year program or so. And so my mom was watching TV one day and they were talking about, you know, the Caribbean School of Architecture. She's like, oh, look at this. You should apply here. And I was like, oh, yeah, let me check it out. <laughs> and so that's that's kind of how I found out about it by accident from my mom watching TV. So kudos to the TV station for talking <laughs> about it. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. And so I did my last two years in Jamaica. So they accepted my first two years of associate degree. And then I did my last two years for the undergraduate program. Oh, good. Yeah. How about you, Shawnee? Well, it wasn't free. <laughs> Let's yeah. set that record straight. <laughs> but unlike, unlike Shelly, uh, who was a globetrotter before she came over to my side of the, the world, there, there, to me, there, there was only one school in Jamaica or at that point in time, there probably was another program in the Caribbean. I just, I wasn't aware of it. But the Caribbean School of Architecture was literally a half a mile from where I lived. <laughs> so I'm like, free boarding, <laughs> a little bit of exercise, and I'm right there. <laughs> and so to me, I, you know, I, I had passed the university a number of times, and I think UTEC was kind of like the the lost stepchild because Yui was always this kind of shiny, shiny beacon for the, the university system in the Caribbean. But UTEC, which was formerly cast, stepped up, but they also, they had a, they had a kind of diamond in the rough, which was the Caribbean School of Architecture. And a lot of people didn't know about that school, but it was very international when I started it. And when I, when I started going there, and when I say international, really was more European. But the school, I think, was started in the 70s, and it was through some Commonwealth program. And a lot of the, the faculty were from Europe. And so, you know, you'd never expect it. But, you know, I'm walking in, in the school, you know, I'll have classes with faculty from America, from Italy, from Denmark, Africa. I mean, our, our, our faculty was, was very diverse. And even the Jamaican architects that were there, our faculty that were teaching there, they had their education at the AA. So it, you know, or, or at that point in time, for all intents and purposes, I felt like our, our education was kind of based on, on a kind of European way of, of teaching architecture. But what I thought was fabulous about the school, which it's changed somewhat since. And I, I don't know, Shelley, when you started, but I started in 1994. And our program was set up on a modular sy module system, not on the semester system. So you'll do maybe, I don't know, two months 
of a course and then you'll switch to the next one so it wasn't really set up on a merc on, on, like similar to the american system which is per semester some, but, of them or, do. some of them do have quarters some of them do okay yeah um the the classes that we had and and you know having experienced both the american system and the caribbean system i, I kind of look back at the school as wow really to me it was a really it was really a diamond in the rough because the things that we did and and learned were just so varied it was normal for us to take foundation courses in in painting and um, drawing and literature, uh, you know, you know, uh, we were taking some courses that were not necessarily part of of you know your normal architecture program, and and I thought that was really great, you know, uh, and we 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 didn't have as many resources as a lot of schools did but we certainly made do and, and a big resource for us were our faculty i mean at that point in time the internet was yeah it was it was not as accessible as you know it was certainly was accessible at our university but not necessarily everybody had it at home mm-hmm. and when we started learning autocad we were <laughs> We were doing it in the MS-DOS. <laughs> I remember typing on my computer. And I'm just thinking back now at that. I'm like, wow, how has time changed? <laughs> but anyway, that was the first time I was even exposed to African architecture. We did a module, a two-month module on African architecture. And I swear, that course just blew my mind. I was like, wow. Because at, at that point, I was, you know, we knew about Caribbean architecture and where, you know, we knew about European architecture too, but not often did we really, really see this kind of a spectrum or a, a history of architecture or from more traditional to more contemporary. I mean, that was my exposure there to African architecture because before you think to yourself, okay, well, yeah, they're kind of like us third world countries. So they're kind of struggling. They're, you know, doing what they can with the resources. But I mean, it took us from the mud-covered huts to the very contemporary high-rise buildings. And I was just kind of blown away because I'd never seen, didn't really think at that point in time, there were these big contemporary modern cities. And I loved it. And I thought to myself, well, first of all, my faculty member who was teaching me that, uh, he was a white European. I'm like, how is he teaching me about this? I was very grateful. And the, the, the funny thing about it is that, I mean, when he came to our class, he had slides and his suit, he was like, he was like always carrying a suitcase with him. You remember Sneller? No, that, that was, he was there before my time. Oh, yeah. okay. Well, that was his name. I see. I remembered that. Wow. I'm surprised. And he, he these were slides of photographs that he took. You know, it's not like, okay, let me go in this history store here and buy these slides, like a lot of history teachers do. I mean, these were photographs from when he actually lived and studied in these places. And I was like, I was on the floor. I was just like eating it up. I couldn't believe it. So, I mean, and that's stuff that, and having taught in a, in a, in a, in a couple of American universities, it's not that these things don't exist or they don't have access to them, but they're not. Again, my view on this is probably limited. I've only taught in a, in a, in a few architecture schools, but what I, think, I, think, <laughs> I think we, even in minority schools, I mean, I actually hadn't seen that 
and I, w- I felt fortunate. Mm-hmm. And I, I felt fortunate to learn about painting. I fought in various styles and being taken on our little trips. <laughs> I mean, and this is just Jamaica. We have access to all these. We, yeah, we just jump in the car and go by the river and start painting. You know, do, you remember Wes Martin? Yeah. yeah. Oh, you know, she, she, I think she still teaches there. Yeah, Maybe did you do retired. the dance studio? Because everybody always talked about Oh, it. yeah. I, I mean, we did all one, kinds but... of stuff. Yeah, <laughs> performance. I mean, we did all kinds of stuff. And and it, it wasn't so much... We, we were enjoying ourselves because it was part of it was exposure and the novelty, you know, standing up there painting with bamboo sticks. And, you know, these are probably things that art students, normal part of their everyday, but it was unique to us as architecture students because I don't even know if I was even fully aware of what kind of ex- education to expect, but it certainly wasn't what I was expecting. I was thinking, okay, well, I'll just continue drafting. That's probably what I thought I was going to learn, you know, some history and okay, I'll do some design, but the reality is our first two years were really um, good foundation years. And and then I think, I'd, I, Shalian, I don't know if, if, if it changed when you started. No, mine was different because I only did the last two years because I took the first two years, all those foundation things came from my interior design associate degree. So I only did the last two years of that program. So we were already into sort of the architecture focus at that time. But I think for me, some of the greatest memories that stand out were the study tours. And so I know schools do study tours and semester abroad and all that here. But what I found was exciting about the one in Jamaica was that it was very immersive. Like we, you went to a destination. So my two study tours, one went to Grenada. So we spent two weeks in Grenada, lived in a community, walked the town every day, talked to people, came up with a design project and then presented it before the community. The next one was to Puerto Rico. So we actually did, we did the study of old San Juan, you know, sort of the parks, the spaces, the public spaces, how they dealt with architecture, how architecture embraced the street, all that. And then we actually presented it at the, I think it was the University of Puerto Rico to the students, because they kind of taught in, in English anyway. So they understood us, we understood them. But I think for me, that was like some of the happiest moments being on the study tour because it's, it's almost like you went there and you lived the life and the culture before you designed something, as opposed to, hey, here's your site, you know, do some history, do some investigation. It's like, we felt like we were like Puerto Ricans or Grenadians by the time we were doing the project. We're like, oh yeah, remember the, you know, the little shop down the corner where we had this and you know, the way that they use the shop and this. And we were like, yep, we know the streets like the back of our hands. And of course, you know, Jamaican students, of course, I'm Trinidadian, but the Jamaican students had to find a dance hall club in Puerto Rico. They were like, yep, where are we going to party? <laughs> I was like, so somehow they found the one dance hall club. We went there one night. <laughs> so, I mean, it was a lot of fun because it, it's like, as for us students, it's like you were living in the space. And while you were there, you had to find tools and different things to make models, to sketch. You were like sketching over the dining table in the hotel. People were spread out on the ground, you know. So it, it, to me, that was like one of the happiest moments. It's like, I remember one of my friends, like I would tell her like, yep, we can't be in Grenada and not go to the beach. So we woke up like six o'clock in the morning. We were the only ones on the beach, went to the beach, did all that, and then came back in time for the class to go out and walk and do our sessions. But I think those were like some incredible opportunities right there to do that. But what I would say, Jamaica was very sort of, we were all more pragmatic in that 
we had to be more resourceful and use whatever we found. So like, I think the difference is like seeing schools here that have, you know, now all the laser cutter and all these things, it like, we had to make things from scratch. And I mean, I don't want people to think, oh, it's a third world country. That's why you're doing that, whatever. But we had to investigate, find, found objects, do different things, cut up chipboard by hand. I mean, it, it was real. I remember some nights in studio late, somebody might accidentally slice their finger and it's like, oh my God, don't let the blood get on your model because you're going to have to start over. <laughs> so it was like, real life down and dirty people had their coffee pots little mini stove in studio and, and it, it was like living in studio living that life kind of so i know our first project in four, when i came in the first project essentially was to design a place to work and sleep and so that was the awakening to it all so some people design a little bed underneath their studio table mine was above so i would climb up the ladder and go up into it and so that was the beginning of the cultural experience of being in studio because it's now we all had a place to sleep. So it's kind of like some of us are like, hey, we just go home to shower and come back because, you know, we're good. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, but it, it was an awesome experience. Yeah, awesome. I, th I think the, the, well, I don't know if it happened after you left, but no, they built the next, I guess they got funding and built a, an, another wing. But before it was, it was set up like a motel, you know, the classes just kind of exited on an open corridor and you didn't get your own spot until you were in third year. So the first and second year students essentially had to roll up everything that they were drawing and then go find somewhere else to go be <laughs> to finish their work. But when you're in third and fourth year, you had your own spot. And so it was easier to do some of the things that Shelly is talking about. And, you know, the building was kind of crotchety and there was a little stair that hung off the side of the building. And mark you, our, our school, and I use that term loosely because it really probably consisted of seven rooms at that time. It was part of a bigger university, but our architecture program probably existed in maybe maybe seven rooms. And there's a there was a I remember there was a little stair hanging off the side of a build of the building, and we were, Mark, you were on the third floor, and that was the only and we should, probably shouldn't have been doing this, but we were going on the roof. You were you were doing that, Shelley? No, I think they banned that because we had an incident with somebody on the roof. They fell the off. No, oh. I think it was an. I mean. It, it was a situation that they stopped people going on. Oh, okay. Yeah, we would go up there like five o'clock in the morning and watch, the, you know, sit there and wait for the sun to rise. I remember doing that, you know, all of our, because the school itself is right under the, I guess if you continue going up the, up to the mountain, you get to the blue mountain, but there was a huge mountain there right beside the school in Papine. And there was a part where you could just get on top of the roof and watch the sun rise and after a long night working, it, it I, you know, I'm feeling reminiscent because it's been a while I haven't been back to Jamaica, so <laughs> I just remember some good times. Anyway, they have a new building now, so that's great. How was the transition from when you went to FAMU? Was there a transition? Was it like nothing? Or I mean, it... I think for me, it was, a, I guess, a bigger transition because, yes, I'm Black, but I think it, it's almost like, I guess, culturally, Caribbean Black is a little bit different to African-American Black. So for me, everybody was like, oh, HBCU, HBCU. And I, I didn't really even know what the hype, like, I know it was a Black school. It was great. But for me, it wasn't like, oh, yeah, you know, like all these things. So it seemed almost like I was living an alternate life when I first went. I was like, wow, this is like the music videos and the other things that I saw on TV. 
So it's like, oh, okay, now I'm experiencing that. But I think, and it might be universal to architecture programs wherever. It's almost like there is a university and then there's the architecture program. And it's almost like you spend so much time. It's almost in your own like community network, whatever, within the architecture building that you got to make time to go out and experience the rest of the school. So, cause I went for my master's program. I think if you're there, like, um, just undergrad, you have a lot more of the school experience versus the architecture building experience. Cause I know before I came, there were t-shirts that said the lights never go out or something like that as well. So, cause that was the one place in the school where students were always were like all hours of the night. So it was an interesting experience for me, but it, it was great to, to sort of build that camaraderie and to still have it coming in late just for masters with most of the students already being there for undergrad as well and knowing each other. For me, the, the transition wasn't a big deal. I think at that point in time, I'd already been in the country. I had worked in architecture firm. And so when I decided to go back to get a master's, I think I was a lot more serious career-wise about getting a professional degree. Because when I graduated from the university in, in Jamaica, it was a Bachelor of Arts. Hold on. Yeah, my line. Studies. It was a Bachelor yeah, of Bachelor Arts in Bachelor Architectural Studies. studies. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't considered a professional degree yet. And so I think when I... I made up my mind, okay, I'm kind of serious about it. I'm kind I'm serious about architecture now. I went back to do a master's and I was, I think I was very focused. I don't know that I participated a whole lot in student life and uh, in outside of the building. I was more focused on just getting in and getting this degree. And I was super excited about what I was doing. You know, I had the faculty there to support what I was doing. And I, I think I was just so focused. I didn't really spend too much time engaging in social activities. I mean, Marky, I wasn't that square. I did go to a club or two. <laughs> but I think I was a little bit polygon. older. Pardon? You a polygon. What's that? Oh, I'm you know, a polygon. I'm a polygon. <laughs> With a couple of openings, maybe. <laughs> But yeah, I was, I, I, just, I just was so excited about what I was doing. I was really focused on getting in, doing what I wanted, I needed to do and get out. I, I think I was a little bit older than some of the, the, the students going into grad school. And maybe that made a bit of a difference. But, you know, I didn't find the transition. What I was your thesis projects? Do you remember? Yeah, it wasn't that important then. It wasn't so life-changing. Mine was about cultural space and sort of these spaces, the interstitial spaces in between buildings and how the buildings engage streets and other public spaces. So I actually studied, I looked at that and it's horrible that I can't remember the names, but this long boulevard in, in Mexico, as well as the, the one in Barcelona. And then I compared that to the Brian Nara Promenade, which I think is, is one of the greatest things in Trinidad in terms of public space in a downtown area. So it's this long plaza that essentially stretches from the waterfront up to the cathedral. But I think I was like Shani too, in terms of school, by the time I went to my master's, I was like, 
gonna get this done two years for this thing get in get out so i think a lot of people were still having fun not too much but still you know like in that sort of youthful thing like college years and i mean i was to some degree but i was like college years get these degree get out become an architect keep going i mean you had your fun in undergrad yeah yeah (laughs) no i got mine out in my 30s (laughs) (laughs) i had a delayed reaction (laughs) To youth. <laughs> no, you I think my boxes and settled. now you can relax, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, they, they did have what they call socials in, in Jamaica. It was like these fets by different departments as well. I think, isn't that what they were called, Shani? Socials or final fet or something? I said I did my partying in my 30s. <laughs> no, but it was a lot of fun. fets up like, here. So, what'd you do? Shani, huh? There's no fets up here. What did What did you do? When in my thirties? Yes. Oh, it was all about salsa, baby. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. She did look that salsa. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I remember. I used to be like, "Oh, Shani, you going to salsa?" She like, "Yeah, this is on Monday. This is on Tuesday. This is on Wednesday." Yeah, I was, like, oh, I, I was partying three nights a week sometimes, but you know, I mean, there were fun. Pe- hey, you have to find your your your, your you find your madness, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's when I found mine. But my thesis, mine was, was on textiles and architecture. I, I still haven't, haven't gotten away from that. It's still, it's still there in my heart. I'm actually still part of, I've been part of weaving guilds for the past 20 year, years, different ones. A big yeah, piece of equipment in her living room. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, my loom. Well, right now I have a smaller living room. Now I only have my spinning wheel. But yeah, my loom is in, in storage right now, unfortunately. But I'm working on getting a table one. If I can find some time away from working on my deadlines, that would be great. Yeah, but yeah. That, that kind of was my area of focus in college. Did you take Miss Goodwin's class at FAMU or? Her, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you her, did? Her, uh, um, that was the one I missed. She still does <laughs> workshops. <laughs> Shout out to Professor Goodwin. <laughs> yeah. When was the last time you went back home, Shawnee? Oh my gosh. 2007? No, 2008. So it's been over wow. 10 years. Wow. I know. Drives me crazy. Her family is here, so I guess that's why. Yeah. No, that's that's not a good reason. (laughs) (laughs) I I mean I think about it all the time and it's funny, you know. I I I I always feel nostalgic and guilty. And this is probably uh, something that I think any anybody who comes from a different country and settles somewhere you have to end up finding that that place because you're kind of you always feel like well i always feel like i'm in between homes you live here and it's where you live it's where you live in the u.s you know you're you're i was born in jamaica and that's my home and i feel very nostalgic about it but i know that if i go back transition for me will be hard not that it's not it's not possible but it will be difficult because you, you've been taken out of an environment and your your lifestyle is a little different. And you're living in, in the United States and it has given you opportunities and allow you to live a, a kind of a lifestyle that you were looking for. Most folks move somewhere because the of opportunities, 
but it's not where you grew up. While you're here, your history here kind of starts as an adult. You don't have pre-adult years in this country. And so you feel like you're starting somewhere. The whole reason why I got into architecture is how I grew up. I grew up in projects and the whole reason why I decided to become an architect is, or study field, whatever, is because I thought I could make a difference. I didn't want anybody to live the way that I grew up in. And then my mom, too, she likes to build things. Her being from Trinidad, she grew up, there's like outhouses and, you know, take some corrugated steel, put it on a roof, two by fours. You build your own thing. She grew up that way. You you build your own stuff. So that kind of touched me, too. But now I'm examining how I grew up. I'm examining all these things. I see things differently now. So I'm wondering, curious... When you go back and go back to Trinidad to the port of Spain, what has changed? And even the kind of a little bit going on over the place, but I know in Trinidad, like over by Savannah, there's that art center theater mm-hmm. thing. That, right. The buildings you see in Trinidad were built by foreigners, at least the architecture. Well, I mean, there, there's some still some good ones because there were some big firms that did a lot of work back in the day. Like one of my favorite architects was um, Colin Laird and he recently died. So he did like the main library downtown. And so that is one of my favorite buildings. So he did the promenade and he did the, the mm. national library downtown. And so I think going back, I sort of look at the architecture in different ways. Like, so there are some buildings that I consider progressive and it's like, oh, wow, this is cool. So like the library is one of them. He adapted it to the site and the sort of the niches and like different areas that you could get into, into the library and sort of have different vantage points of the city while studying. So I look at it from a, a spatial quality and how I feel in the space. And I think that's kind of the same for traveling anywhere. So like anywhere that I go, I am like 90% occupied in like the architecture and the culture. For me, that's a big thing. So last year, um, I was able to go to La Sagrada de Familia for the first time. And I was like, oh my God, like I'd mm-hmm. wanted to go there for 10 years. Right. And so it's like, anytime I go with friends, they're always like, oh my God, <laughs> every detail. It's like, can, can we just experience life? Like, why are we looking at the ceiling? I'm like, oh my God, look at the structure. And everybody's like, what are you talking about? Like. The food is good. So I think I always get focused in on that. And so it, it would be nice, I guess, one day to go home and work. But it's, it's almost like I feel like I missed the boat of fitting in. So I graduated and the choice was either immediately go back home and try to get fit in and work or stay here and get licensed. And so I, since I stayed here and got licensed, going back home is almost like a transition because they require you to do an exam again and have an interview to get registered in Trinidad. And I'm just like, look, I had enough with exams. I'm good to go. So I'm like, can I be grandfathered in? And then I could come work on some projects. But I mean, it would be great to collaborate with somebody and do a project in the Caribbean. So I think I had a mix of both because I did actually work in the Caribbean for a bit before coming to do my master's. So, I mean, that was a, it was a really good experience because I worked in Trinidad and then I worked in Barbados. And so in Barbados, I worked on like one of their big um, tourist attractions is Harrison Cave. So we worked on like the visitor building for that project, a mix of projects, like tourist attractions, office buildings, mixed use developments. And I know people here like to say, oh, that tropical Caribbean architecture. And, you know, there always is what really is Caribbean architecture, right? Because it's a combination of um, 
being infused by so many things. Because like Trinidad was occupied by, you know, the French, the Spanish, the Dutch, this, everybody. everybody. So there's a little piece of everything in there. Um, but that's one of the things I miss is sort of the cultural infusion. Because there is that here, but I feel like it's approached in sort of a different way. Like at home, everybody celebrates everybody's culture, right? So if it's Diwali, it doesn't matter if you're Indian or Hindu, it doesn't matter. You just celebrate it, you know? So I think that was one of the things I'm like, hey, how can I experience all the seasons and all the festivals, like at least for one year, just get that infusion again to like fill me back up. So one day. When the pandemic is over. When the, when the borders over. I, I think that probably would be, as Shelian mentioned, a collaboration. As I mentioned, the vein I was kind of going on before, which is you're, you're a slightly an outsider in both places. Mm-hmm. It would have to be a, a collaboration. I know that one of the things I thought about was at some point reconnecting with the, the School of Architecture because I, I do think that the things that I lacked or didn't have when I was in school, certainly resources, maybe that's something I could contribute to seeing where where I could fit in. And I really haven't had conversations with them about this, but it's certainly been on my mind to to reach out and 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 be supportive in in, in the educational system there. Cause it was the foundation of my adult life. I don't think I would have been where I was or had the openness of mind if I hadn't had those experiences there because they were great experiences. And it took me into graduate school because really the the basis of the work I did in grad school and, and beyond in education came from Jamaica, came from that exposure to the arts. I remember walking through the Edna Manley School of Art. That was the first time I saw my first loom. I had to walk through the textile department to get to our drawing class. That was always my shortcut. So who would have thought 10 years later I'd have had my own room? What is it about textiles? The feel of it and the fact that you're using your hands a lot, that you're creating something. Like what, what is it about textiles for you? Well, to me, it has, it's like any other form of art. It still has, you, you still have the foundation pattern, scale, repetition, all of those things apply to these various forms of art. And so it makes the transition from one discipline to the other not that far-fetched. And it's those similarities that I thought I wanted to explore. My interest, so I think like architecture, it's an aesthetic uh, thing. There is something pleasing to the eyes and there's a... There's a rationale to why something is pleasing to your eye. For all those kind of basic foundational characteristics, repetition, form, color, texture, all of those things. And But what I did see that's also in addition to that is there is something very technical about it. I mean, architecture is aesthetic, but there's a technical side to realizing the aesthetics that you are, whatever it is that you're seeing and appreciating. It exists because there's a technical, there's something technical behind it. It's not built by appearing. It's built by an understanding of the math and the technique of constructing something. And the material choices and the properties that ex- are inherent in that. It's the same with textiles. I mean, to weave something, I mean, there are different forms of making fabric, but 
for me, weaving specifically, there's a technical aspect. It's very technical. And I mean, there are parts of it that I hate doing, uh, really. I mean, like dressing a loom is probably the most difficult thing. <laughs> not, it's not difficult, but it's, it's a physical labor. But there's a lot of planning. There's a lot of that requires you to think about how the yarns go together, what colors you're using, what the treadle pattern, you know, what, what pattern you're following, what's the expectation. You have an expectation of, of, of what's going to happen once you complete it. Like architecture, there are a lot of surprises along the way. <laughs> but, I mean, you, it requires a lot of planning and prep work. The aspects of it that are connected to architecture, they were one and the same back in the day. What people wore and what people, people you know, used to build their, their homes were probably one and the same. They came from trees, you know. I mean, when you think about it, whatever we wear come from plants, cotton, wool, whatever it are, animals, I guess. And it's your environment, things that you take from your environment, you manipulate it to make whatever it is. It requires an understanding of structure not only to make the fabric, but also to make clothing and to fit around your body. So to me, there were so many ways of exploring the similarities between the two. You could utilize your understanding of one to further an understanding in the other or explore use your understanding of architecture to explore something in textiles to explore something in architecture no i'm working on a project that has these metal panels and it has a pattern and i thought to myself how the hell am i gonna figure this thing out and then i thought what the hell are you talking about shani you know what to do you have a background in textiles some a little bit of background in textiles there and when it comes to figuring out the, the, the pattern of how you want the here it is, maybe this is the way to go. Use your understanding of how that, how you would plan a pattern in a fabric to, to look at how you want the aesthetics of these panels to occur on the building. So for me, it's, it started in Jamaica and mm. it's not left me. Mm. You want to talk about your, your journey of exploration through India? Oh, boy. Didn't you go to do some investigation of fabric? <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. See, you know, when we start conversations like these, it just gets me depressed. <laughs> Why? <laughs> what? <laughs> Why? Beca because, you know, because all of the zeal and excitement I had about mm -hmm. architecture and textiles have <laughs> Are no part, you know, are, are not as part of my everyday right now as I'd like them to be. And when I start thinking about these things, I'm, I keep thinking, Shani, you've disappointed yourself. Look how far you should have gone with these no. things by now. <laughs> but I, I went to India in 2011 because at that point in time, I was at, I was at a place in my life. I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. I graduated. I worked for a bit. But I was a little disappointed in myself because I had thought once I graduated, I would have gone off. I started on a path of teaching and I thought, okay, great. But now I need to go into practice and really see how I can push this agenda. And then that's kind of where it stopped. <laughs> 
And I was a little disappointed in the sense that I didn't really pursue this, is, you know, have this fantastic evolution <laughs> into architecture. Architecture is, it, it's, a, it's an emotionally taxing profession. Mm-hmm. And if you're not, and depending on what, what place you are in your life, if you um, have an issue balancing, then someone, something is going to give and you have to figure out what it is at that point in time that's important to you. And at that point in time, I think we were going through a recession mm-hmm. and, and I was studying for my exam because I thought, well, let's just kind of complete this circle right here. But then I really didn't have the zeal. So I decided to go go and ex- continue my exploration of textiles in India because I had this list of countries that I wanted to go to and India was probably one of my top three countries so I went there and my only goal was to just explore and see and so I, I traveled between Delhi and probably I, I went as you know I started in Delhi and I went out west was that west yep probably to the yeah well, I got to the desert <laughs> I got to the border I think of Pakistan <laughs> and that's where I stopped <laughs> and I came right back people say when you go to India you either love it or hate it but I can tell you one thing and maybe this is just time making me feel nostalgic again here's that word <laughs> <laughs> it was probably the place that I just found to be so eye-opening you know if i thought of the most exciting bizarre sad i mean it kind of plays on i think i felt like it touched all my emotions you know it was a place that there there were things there that made me sad there were things that i felt when i saw things i was like i feel right at home this is just like Mm -hmm. in jamaica (laughs) and then there were things that were so bizarre to me and things that made me angry things that made me happy things that touched my soul i felt so spiritual you know connected with that so i think i went there looking for um to to do some research on these i think there were like these priests that had carried these scrolls of fabric that told stories i went to research that and i probably you know that the one that once i got there that went out of my head because you know nothing prepares you for (laughs) india nothing and and i it was probably the most fantastic experience i've ever had i mean i know that tells you nothing but i it's like an e pray love thing for you right you seen that movie yeah and I, actually i read the book you know what i read the book in preparation to go which was funny mm-hmm. yeah no she was on a different path than i was but I, I i saw some similarities there and you know you reminded me that i know i, I actually kept a journal i need to go find that journal and read <laughs> you know i wrote in there every day when i was there and i need to go and look back at that but it, it as far as textiles go it's just like a wonderland it's it really is i did a lot of touristy things so it was pretty commercial too what about you and um photography like that's i mean i've been on a professional hobbyist if there is such a thing (laughs) so sometimes it moves forward and sometimes it doesn't i think when i lived in barbados i probably explored it the most because i had a dedicated like i would wake up do sunrise photo shoots you know, afternoon photo shoots. I did the most with it. And then when I lived in Atlanta previously, I did a lot of sort of architectural photography for the tours that we had. 
so that was a good experience. I think for me, I always like to explore sort of people, portraits and places. And I think that was my one thing. I was like, you know, if I'm not doing architecture, I have to do photography. There's no other choice again. And so I think I really wanted to explore architecture, photography and travel. I was like, you know, if I can create a scenario where all three come together, that would essentially be sort of my perfect environment. So I'm not quite there yet. It's still a journey. One of these days, they'll all come together. But for now, I mean, I still explore it as a, as a hobbyist. And then I still do like some professional shoots for friends and families and other events and so forth. So it's, it's ongoing. But I think one of, my, one of my sort of really exciting life experiences was kind of like Shani. I mean, I didn't go for research, but I went with um, Global Bike to Tanzania. And I think just that immersion in the culture was, I mean, it was mind blowing because it felt like being at home and experiencing another culture at the same time. Cause it, it was just that joy of seeing people happy with no matter what, mm. you know? And I think part of that is lost here. So like, yes, you, you gain some things, you gain sort of a different lifestyle and so forth, but just the general harmony and joy of living people get so caught up in, you know, things and jobs and this, and, you know, I think here most recently, one of my best times was my sabbatical from work. I took like six months off from like heavy duty work. And I was like, you know what, I'm just going to live, you know? So I did little side gigs here and there in architecture and photography, but it was not a nine to five. So I woke up when I wanted, I went out, I was like, Hey, maybe I should go out for lunch, go for a walk. And it was amazing. I'm like, maybe every five years I need a sabbatical <laughs> just, just to rejuvenate yourself. Cause it's like, you know, architecture has the ability to empower you or to slowly kill you. When it comes to racism, it's yes, I experienced it versus is this what racism is? Is this, oh, okay. This is how it is. So I'm kind of curious how you guys experience in your travels and everything. Like what are your takes on the U S and this? Cause even in China, like even as you have, you have blacks and you have Indians, right? And what I'm hearing now is getting worse with, with the politics there and the prime minister and election certain certain candidates said certain things some I'm kind of curious about your take on it yeah I mean you know that's the question of the hour right now but um, it's I, I think growing up for me I don't know that I directly experienced like racism to any degree I think it, it's weird because you know in Trinidad it's predominantly black and Indian but there's also Syrians Chinese Lebanese you know just a little bit of everybody and so I think it got down to the point of where there were sometimes conversations about who's darker than who. So it was almost amongst the black people. Colorism. You know, right. Yeah. Essentially. Yeah. I wouldn't say I experienced it to the worst, but I know it was there and it did exist for some people. And there were people who I guess were also mixed races who felt that they didn't fit in, in either sort of the, the white bucket or the lighter bucket, as well as the black bucket. They're essentially people who we call Douglas, which is like a mix of races, like Indian and black and so forth. But I think I didn't really experience anything per se until I got to the U.S. And I mean, it, it, it's subtle. The, ones, the things that I've experienced are subtle or just like awkward conversations. Because I remember when I lived in Pennsylvania, like I was at the mechanic shop. And so there was me and of course, everybody else was pretty much white. So 
I was like, hey, you know, let me just make general conversation. I was like, oh, good morning. You know, how are you doing or whatever? And the guy next to me proceeded to go into this sort of preamble. He was like, oh, you know, how are you? Now I have black friends. And he started telling me a story of how his neighbors is black and he talked to them. And then he was like, do you prefer to be called black or African? And I was just like blown away because I was like, how are we even here into this conversation right now? And I was just like, you know, I just would like to be called by my name. I mean, like, in, like he even brought, I think he brought in the word, you prefer to be called Negro or Black. And I was like, whoa. I was like, I'd never heard, you hear the word Negro and different things, but it's in a different context. It's not like somebody in your face asking if you'd like to be called Negro or Black. So I think it's, it's almost like a weird place for me to be sometimes because then some of my friends might say things related to African-Americans. They're like, oh, you don't seem like you're African-American. And I'm like, well, I'm not. I'm sort of Afro-Caribbean. And so yes, I'm Black, so I am subject to the same sort of things that everybody else here would be subject to, you know, just from being Black in America. But I think from my upbringing, it's a little bit different. So yes, I have the same struggle to deal with in the workplace and everywhere else. But from my past, it's, I guess, sort of the way that I think about it is different. But I mean, all that's out the window with everything that's currently going on. Because I even told my mom, while she was growing up at home, going to secondary school, people were still struggling in the, the South. There was still racism, there was still all these things, but just by default of where we were born, we had a different experience. And so now I think it's, it's very subtle being in a field that's male-dominated one, white male-dominated secondly, then also being a black female in that field. So it's like, you know, even though I may be in my firm sort of leading as leading the architectural group, it's like going out into the field and engaging with clients, they still engage with you differently. So sometimes they still prefer to talk to somebody that looks like them. So they'll tell you, yes, yes, okay. But then they will still try to have that conversation with somebody that looks like them. So it's like they, they let you in, but not fully. So you got to kind of like push your way into some of these things. So what's your experience, Shani? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'll co-sign with that, you know, what, what Shalian mentioned there. I think for me, the buffer I set for myself is, and maybe it's a protective mechanism, I don't know. When I've been faced with situations where I've been either challenged on my knowledge or understanding of something. I, I always default to what's my goal here, you know, and I, I, and I always focus on that. Is my goal to solve this problem here so we can get the job done? Then if I can find my wherewithal in, a mo in that moment, then I'll always revert to that. Say, well, I hear what you're saying, but we need to get this done. Because at the end of the day, and I try to, maybe it's the Capricorn in me. <laughs> I don't know what it is. I, I try to be an even keel person and understand the perspective and really see what the, the most positive outcome is. Because the reality is racism exists as a insecurity. And, and that's just kind of my perspective on it because what do you, what does it benefit me to belittle or to think of someone as lesser than we're all humans right but maybe by me being a minority that's the only 
perspective I'm afforded. I don't know. You know, I, I, I don't know what it is to be a, a, a white man. And maybe my thought process would be different. I'm just trying to live the best that I can and have a positive outcome for myself. So I try to focus on that. And that's really what colors, what I try to use to color any interaction I have with anybody that, that kind of challenges me based on the color of my skin, my ethnicity, where I come from. I think that's really what it is. And I try to live my way that my life that way. What it has made me think about though, it, it makes me question, have I always afforded everyone the kind of respect that I would want for myself? I mean, I do think about that and I make sure that I, I'm cognizant of that anytime I, I've dealt with people because I think racism exists also as a lack of consideration for another human mm -hmm. and a lack of consideration for a person's life and, and people who love that person. I, I, I use it as a, as a lesson to myself to say, am I giving that to everybody? Or and I, I try to use it to make me a better person. And it's a difficult thing to process as someone who didn't grow up here because sometimes it angers you to think that someone has the right to, mm -hmm. to um, treat anyone that way. Where do you get that right? <laughs> you know, uh, is the right only in your head? I think to me, someone who does that, you know, is, is not civil. You live in a civil society, but if you're acting that way, you're not a civil person. And it, it can be angering if you focus on it, but I just try to go back to what's my goal. In any one situation, what's my goal? I, I try to avoid people like that. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> you, you try to avoid situations. At the end of the day, you know, I'm responsible for my life and, and, and for my own interactions in this world. And when I catch myself, I, I, I do give myself a break. I say, Shani, you can be angry about things, but you're responsible for your life and, and you're responsible for your own interactions. And I try to be good to people because if anything, it, 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 it has allowed me to realize with humility that life is very fragile. And for someone who can spend their life hating that someone else is very sad. But you're not engaging in your own life if you spend your time hating somebody else. It takes a lot of energy to hate. Yeah, it does. A lot of energy. And to remember to hate. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. sometimes you're like, oh, wait, I hate you. I'm sorry. Well, you know, for some people, it's natural, I guess. <laughs> yeah, you know, if you're born that way, uh, not born that way, but if you grow up that way and, and, like... and, and that's the only the way you know, you know, it's second nature and it's hard to break that. I'm, I'm never going to be the person to try and change someone, but it's, it's always good to be aware of your environment and who you're dealing with and to interact accordingly. So did this happen when you came up here? This realization, this how you decide to, your, your approach on things. I mean, it definitely is colorism in Jamaica. You, you hear it in our, in, our, in our music, browning and stuff like that when you're growing up. So you know that there is, certainly was a you know, cultural preference for people who were lighter skin. But, you know, 
You guys had like cake soap or something. Is that what you call it? Yeah. Well, no. It, well, I don't know if people use cake soap, but they use all kinds of other things that that lighten their skin, and it's prevalent. It's part of our culture, and it's a part of a lot of other. I mean, I saw it in India too. Yeah. You know? Oh yeah, India oh, too, yeah. and Africa. I'm part of. Well, I've never been to Africa. Maybe maybe Shelly knows that, but you know, wouldn't know more about that. But I, I definitely see it, and you're never gonna be. In Jamaica, it's not like somebody's going to look at you, oh, I hate you because of the colors, I'm going to take you out. You know, it's definitely not like that. It's certainly a preference for a skin tone or I don't want to say good hair or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. All of that to me is a preference for something. You can like somebody's physical attributes for however you want, but it's never based on violence. It's never based on discounting your life. And so this is a new thing for me. And the only way I can navigate it and rationalize it in my in my head is to just say, well, you know, not ignore it for sure, because you cannot. It makes you more creative. It makes you kind of dig into yourself to, to really think about who you are as a person mm-hmm. and what are your values? What is it that, that your outlook on life and people and try to live the best you can in a, in live by example, expect mm-hmm. to be treated how you treat other people. Yeah, I think it, that's one of the things that's been interesting here. It's sort of like going to meetings and events and being sort of the only black person there and the only female. Because when people start conversations, we're trying to do things for the black community. It's almost like, oh, they're talking about me. But then it's like on one end, you feel good because now you get to be a part of the conversation to be able to engage and make that project better. But then sometimes you also question, am I here just because they needed a face to go and take part in this? But I think being an architect offers a great opportunity to engage in some of these things from sort of a planning for people in communities, spaces, buildings, all these things. So it offers us sort of a unique perspective to do that. But it's it's definitely challenging. It definitely comes up with lots of awkward conversation situations because I've even had you know, friends that, you know, I've been friends with for a while, but we never really talked about race per se, or the things, I guess it's, some of it is more challenging with the events that have taken place recently. But it's definitely an uncomfortable conversation, but I guess we all have to find ways of sort of participating in it, not necessarily, you don't want it to be confrontational, but you want it to be an opportunity to listen. Like, what is your perspective? Why do you feel this way? This is how I feel. This is how, when these things happen, this is how they make me feel. And so hopefully the other person is open to listen to you. Because I think we got to do a lot of listening right now. Mm Because there are a lot of hurt people out there. And if you don't give somebody who's hurt by something an opportunity to speak, then you're forcing them to bottle it up and keep it away from you because you want to stay in your bubble without knowing what else is going on. So. See, Shelly, and I, I, <laughs> you don't want to engage nobody. You're like, oh. no, 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 no. I'm not, I'll never say that. But, you know, the people who, who want to actually, you know, talk about it, I'm not worried about them. <laughs> and, yeah, the people who is the people who don't want to engage in conversations is the problem. Right. You know, you know, I think anybody, who, the, 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 the folks that want to exact violence for their own, for their own reasons those are the, the the people that i don't understand it's not like we're we're engaged in 
a war with with you know with some other entity that's that's trying to take your life away or the life of your citizen your country you know it seems to be creating space for an unnecessary interaction and that's what concerns me that people feel the need to do that to go out there and harm someone and this is something that i think and I never really engaged in until recently. You'll see Black History Month, all kinds of stuff. When you grew up in the Caribbean, you grew up Black, so you never really thought about it. It's great that they're celebrating it here. I don't really engage in it. I have never in the past because, you know, okay, I'm, I know what Black is. This is just how I felt. I never did anything special for Black History Month. Unless some of my African-American friends wanted to, then I, you know, I would, but, you know, again, you know, I didn't, I, I don't, I didn't feel like I, and I still don't think that I understand the black, the African-American history as much. I've been trying to educate myself a little bit more about it. Certainly we experienced slavery in the Caribbean, but it's not in our lifetime. And so we don't have any residual because of that, you know, we know it's part of our history. Don't? what Jamaicans you don't have residuals in the sense that you're not really your 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 life isn't threatened isn't actively potent it's, it's different it's too yeah different. yeah i mean no it's part of your history but it it it's not some somebody that's gonna say okay well you don't come over here because you're black you know, whenever experience anything like that but I think it's true, that back too though because it's, it'll be like your great 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 something but i think here like especially in the south it's literally like somebody's grandmother or like great grandmother was working on a plantation or was an owner of something so i think it's a lot closer to the surface i think at home we do like Emancipation Day and stuff like that. So there are celebrations that acknowledge certain things. Yes. And, I mean, now the Indians have, well, it's been going on for a couple of years, Indian Arrival Day for when the Indians arrived as indentured servants and all that. And now they're Chinese celebrations. So I think it, there are celebrations and stuff, but I think kind of like what Shani is saying, for me, yeah, it's kind of like, you feel like a little bit of an outsider kind of. So it's like, I, I myself don't know the full history. Like I know the general history of everything, but I don't necessarily go very deep in it since my education wasn't here. But I mean, obviously in Trinidad, we still do, you know, social studies and other things. So we learn a broad history of the world itself. So you know about slavery and all those things, but I, I always feel like it's closer to the surface here. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of twofold. Because when I went to Trinidad one time and my cousin... He was in school and I was like, come here, let me see what you learned in school, sir. Mm -hmm. And so I went and looked at his books and he was learning about the slave trade. Mm -hmm. And I was just, he's like eight. And I was like, I didn't learn about the slave trade till I was like 16, 17. And here he goes, learning about it is the education in itself. It's mm -hmm. the fact that a lot of our history has been whitewashed. A lot of the mm -hmm. U.S. history has been whitewashed versus in the Caribbean. It is what it is, you know, yeah. like. And so how centralized and how he had to learn like all the islands in the Caribbean mm -hmm. and like, and I'm the like. Capitals and the prime ministers and everything. Right. <laughs> and so I, I didn't, I didn't learn any of, definitely not the Caribbean. I barely know how many states there are. It's two totally different histories. And another thing too, your emancipation is totally different from our emancipation because the British left, mm -hmm. they just left. They, they may own some land still and maybe 
we call it the duchess and duke may come to visit well they have the name so it, the the history is there from the naming and some of the, the buildings naming, yeah. And, yeah. i mean same here like prince george's county like it's right. prince george you know but it's it's different when you still have another race other eurocentric has been yeah. like, dominated like, like you said before shawnee like when both of you guys were in school you learned europe history but the thing is too you also learned other histories as well mm-hmm. versus here in the states my education in architecture school it was like strictly european like you had egypt yeah and then you had the taj mahal and the other seven wonders of the world and that was it like that everything was centered in europe and you you question but and that's the struggle i had with architecture in school and that's why i ended up like transferring three times and all stuff because it was very difficult for me to and i knew i loved it but the education like something inside me was just like why am i not learning like i should be loving architectural history but it's so limited and then it's like where 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 am i from like what about my caribbean history like what about my african history all that's just been what egypt pyramids and everything else was all vernacular your education in listening to you guys was like super rich and i just wished i had that but well, I mean, you have that by extension through your family and some of the stories. I mean, it's not pure, pure, but you could learn some of that from them and what they experienced. Yeah, cause, I mean, I would definitely say that to me, that's one of the things I celebrate the most and I enjoy most being from Trinidad. It's, it's almost like being born in the right place at the right time mm-hmm. and being able to sort of have that history and that culture. Because I mean, I mean, I'm sure there's obviously there's lots of cultures everywhere, but to me, it's like being in Trinidad and having that cultural infusion from so many different countries and places all at the same time was incredible. It's like the amount of festivals and events and just different things that you can experience. I mean, I haven't really experienced that anywhere else. Cause even like here, when it's like Diwali, like I go to the temple that's um, close by to me and, you know, they have the show and the lights and, but usually I'm like one of, you know, a handful of black people there. Cause it's all Indian. But in Trinidad, it would have almost been like everybody there, you know? Mm-hmm. You almost mm-hmm. wonder whose festival is it because there's so many of everybody. One thing that, uh, there's a couple of things I love about Trinidad. You close your eyes and everybody sounds the same. You open your eyes and there's a guy that looks like, you know, he's Chinese and another guy that, you know, could be Venezuelan. And then, you know, like, you, 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 that's the beauty of it. Or even like, what do you call it? Oh, you call that thing that happened? Paran? Is that yeah. yeah yeah that I mean that alone like that celebration that there's like a, a festival or an event or something to celebrate for almost every occasion mm-hmm. and, and everybody's there part. yeah yeah I don't so. know if that's like in Jamaica or not but what in terms of yeah no we're just straight up no I'm just kidding <laughs> well you know when I I, I guess the the dem- <laughs> demographics of Jamaica it's not like Trinidad where see I haven't checked the latest demog- the, um, demographics but it's been gentrified oh well really <laughs> yeah I haven't been back in so long but <laughs> I really need to go back and check now um, but growing up you know I, I, we were very aware of our our history and 
I think by no means, you know, certainly go ahead and fact check me, anyone listening to this. I'm not spitting facts for sure. Just just memories of growing up that we did have a small, pop, like what Shelley mentioned, we do have a, a smaller, we have a small population of, of yeah. Chinese and, but for, you know, the, I'd say at least 90% of our ethnicity is, is from Africa, from African heritage. And so a lot of our rituals and festivals, et cetera, revolve around that. So we probably didn't have as much of diversity as Trinidad does in that regard. But you know, I, I think we, we, we are certainly connected to our, our Caribbean brethren and we have taken on things like carnival, <laughs> which, <laughs> which I'm probably blasphemous by saying we suck at, but um. But one thing for sure, the Carbon School of Architecture was that place for us to have, to have grown. I wouldn't be in, in Jamaica, probably wouldn't have interfaced with my Caribbean brethren as much, you know, as if I hadn't gone to that school. That's the other thing too, because I mean, it's the Caribbean School of Architecture called out for a reason, because that was where a lot of the other Caribbean island the students would come and, and go to school there. So I did get exposed to to the other countries and islands. I didn't go to train that, unfortunately. So that needs to be on my list. You right? haven't been there yet? I know. <laughs> what? And, and you got a friend from Trent? Oh my goodness. That is just... We have two people on this call. <laughs> I know. Well, yeah, right. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll I, Well, first, I'm you. sorry, but I have to go to Jamaica first. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, of course. You got to go home first. I have to go home first. <laughs> But I mean, I was very aware of, so I became aware of, of, of the, the history of the other islands and know just by extension that the, the, the history of, of the people there. I always loved, we were closest to, to, to Cuba. I, I, I always loved, I grew an affiliate, I have a special affection for Latin music and, and just that culture in general. So, I mean, I think the, the Caribbean itself is pretty varied because we were colonized. And so we do have remnants of that. And it's, you know, just learning from our Caribbean history, that, that's something that, I mean, we celebrate, but not as, as much in Jamaica. So, you know, we do end up having to, or for me, having to travel to really get more exposed. Yeah, I think that's one of the good things too. So we definitely have to give a shout out to the University of Technology and by extension, the Caribbean School of Architecture for sort of that foundation, as Shani mentioned. And I think one of the great things that I enjoy seeing now is that some of my classmates and the people in the years before me are actually going back as professors. Mm-hmm. So and now they've worked and so now they're going back. So I think that's, that's also a good touch to have some of that new perspective being infused into the school as well. When I worked in, I can't say in Trinidad because I would, didn't work that close to the beach, but in Barbados, I could actually go to the beach and eat lunch. And I was like, wow, this is Yeah, they have it, that, that country right there. I mean, if, 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 I didn't, if, if I were to settle somewhere outside of Jamaica, that probably, that probably would be it right there. Because, yeah, they, they have it set up nice. It's small enough that you can get yeah, where you want to go. And you have access to all the beach. Hmm? Yeah, it's probably like a Tobago. I mean, Tobago has, well, it's a lot more mountains. So it depends on where you're going. You got to go through the mountain range. But yeah, mm-hmm. you still have access to a beach or somewhere with a view of a beach or something within probably at least like half an hour, 20 minutes. 
Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I think that that part is cool. I, I would, I mean, I would give anything to just have some relaxation um, spaces or gaps in work. Like, you know, when you, you listen to the news and people are like, oh, with my newfound time, I'm exploring this hobby. I'm like, what newfound time? I just lost more time. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that work-life balance is like, what's that? But I think, too, that I, especially for... I don't know about other minorities, but for black people in this field, I think more ownership and autonomy is needed for us to get where we need to go. Because if you sit down and work in in a majority firm, and there are a lot of firms out there where you don't even see one black person. But, you know, it's just always, you know, not that you're going to completely avoid racial issues when it comes to our profession. I mean, they can say they want to be inclusive all they want, but at the end of the day, there is a bigger system and society that they're part of. And the only way we're going to have any autonomy and kind of maximize potential is if we, we kind of take ownership and do our own thing. And I think entrepreneurship is really what has allowed a lot of Black people to make their own way and not be tied back or held back. So I think it's good that you're doing this and if it allows you to stay in architecture and explore and really be be what you want to be in this field, it's certainly a good thing. I support anybody who is living their dream because that's all anybody wants to do. Just live the life. I mean, I, I love doing nothing. if it wasn't for you i would still be in bed i roll out of bed i was like oh i got yes i gotta do the zoom thing you know what's funny so i was telling one of my co-workers i was like she called me probably like around seven and i was like you know i'm just exhausted just i'm like i keep going like i just logged off from work and now i have like a call with my friend who's doing like something to help celebrate black men like a, a meeting and so she was like oh it's all your extracurricular activities that has you so tired. And I'm like, no, it's work. Did you not just hear me say I signed off for the computer at seven, which is like an hour and a half after I should have, you know, but people almost like highlight your extracurricular activities. And I'm like, that's what keeps me going to want to do the nine to five. The fact that I have these other little bubbles here that can bring me joy sometimes. <laughs> Yeah. You know what I wonder I wonder what our lives would be like if we didn't have to focus so much on our ethnicity and be bothered with it. Oh, it would be freeing. I, I think I no, I'm serious. Like I think I would be so much more creative if mm-hmm. if I didn't have to think I'm a black woman. My mind would be like it'll be huge. Yeah, I mean it's just kind of, it's almost like we're our brain is has this kind of ethnicity caches we need to clean it (laughs) we need to clean it out i don't know you know it's it's i've only been recently thinking about it well not yeah well you can't avoid it really Uh, sometimes i'd like to put a head in the sand but you know you can't avoid it and you just think to yourself man when we're in the caribbean they not to be thinking about none of this thinking about any of that stuff (laughs) i mean there's other things to think about like you gotta think about stupid people and violence and crime and other things. Uh, uh, We're still right here. We're thinking about that. (laughs) (laughs) 
well, in yeah. addition to but, but it's a different type <laughs> like it's just it's just different like i like to call 911 for an emergency and mm-hmm. up. you call it no. no i'm just saying for the you know if someone's having you know a medical emergency no my, my friends are like i know one of my friends she's always like look if i pass out don't call no ambulance you get some water throw it on my face get me together like uh-uh you know how expensive the ambulance well, now is in the pandemic world i get i mean still like this is the basic stuff like just yeah, and, and I mean, I'd still tell people, I'm like, look, don't call nobody for no wellness check. Call this friend, this friend, this friend, and no. you tell them, come over here. I don't need no wellness check. Yeah, you're right. We all need a wellness check, trust me. From your friends, not from, from your friends, not from the cops. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I, that was always the way, though, you know, but I guess I didn't really think about it until recently with all the stuff in the news. And maybe it's just me, but sometimes I, I'm, I've, I think now I've learned to be very skeptical about everything, you know. Mm-hmm. I think I, when I came here, I was all starry eyed, and, and I probably would have overlooked, I'm pretty sure I overlooked and didn't even notice some of the subtle racism that was going on. I just probably saw it as a block and say, okay, well, I didn't get this. Let me move on. And maybe I was... That was being blissful, though. Ignorance yeah, is blissful. It, it is. And, and that's what you get when you come from the Caribbean and haven't been schooled in the way things are. And so, it, in a way, it may, it may end up getting you <laughs> in a lot of places because you're not kind of bogged down worrying about why, why something didn't happen. You just move on to the next. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, after a while you sit down and you think about it, you're like, oh, okay, well, this is what African-Americans are talking about. This is what. Yeah, but I think that same bliss thing, I mean, I was probably in bliss while my brother wasn't. Cause like, even when I talk to him about stuff now, he's like, no, I got pulled over a lot. And I was like, really? I didn't realize it was like that much. But so yeah, stuff was going on. It depends on who you are. He experienced stuff. I experienced some with him and then I experienced some subtle ones because mine wouldn't be like as heavy as his might have been. But yeah, I mean, without talking to people, you just never know what they went through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. When you see African-Americans or other black people doing crazy stuff, it's why are you doing that? That could lead to a problem. Mm-hmm. Like the other day I was going outside and so I saw like a whole group of people just passing and I'm like, that's not usual for my complex. Like who are all these people walking by? It's like 10 people passed. And then when I got out, it was like a bunch of youths, like teenagers, just walking through the complex. They didn't live here at all. They just walked through, went to the other end and jumped over the fence. And I was like, why? Why would you even do that in this current time that we're living through? You know, but like they're just kids. being teen. They're just being kids, and you should be able to just be a kid. I mean, you know, many times with when I was like, just a kid, I walked through people's property. You know, climb over fence. I mean, if they, in the Caribbean, right? Yeah, Not of course, here, of course. If they see you on the property, they they tell you to to bump a cloth. <laughs> you know what I mean? Most of the time, they'll just kind of shoo you away, or you or they don't even pay you any mind. But you know, here, you know, it's. Here it's just it's a lot more serious, you know. Yeah, you know, I mean, like you know. if I had a teenager now, I'd be like, look, just I understand that that's what you want to do, that's childhood, you know, go and exploring. Just try to minimize that exploration. Mm-hmm. Right? And we want you to come home. That's the thing. We want you to. Come yeah, home. yeah. And, and, yeah, and that's the real, the realness of 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 the country you're living in. So yeah, I mean, so I know my friend. One of my friends had a, a wedding, and it was like like North Georgia kind of mountains area. 
out in the woods. And so I drove to the wedding and it, my GPS is like, okay, turn right. And I'm like, this is a, like a gravel road. Like, where are we going? I was like, okay, I'll turn down this gravel road, drive, you know, some feet or whatever, see what's up. And it kept going, this gravel road. And I was trying to call, well, of course I can call her because she's in the wedding. And I'm trying to like navigate, you know, the, just minutes before the wedding. And I'm like, okay, who can I call to find out if I'm in the right place? Because I don't want to be down a gravel driveway that leads to somebody's house. And so it kept going, must have been like a whole mile. And I was just like, boy, well, this is it, God. I mean, I can't turn around fast enough. So whatever happened down this road, it's exhausting to have to worry about stuff like that. Was it the destination? Was it? It was. Like down so here. I'll be so mad. How dare you have a wedding in the middle of the woods and we're all Black people? I mean, it was like, no, she wasn't Black. I was the Black guest. But mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I mean, I could have read that one. <laughs> I, I would have been mad. I was like, what is your problem? Uh, no, no, Black people you. know better than that. But, I mean, it was like a great area with views and, you know, pool and the barn. It was like this barn setting. I'm like, this is cute once you get here. My way here was worrying. I was like up these windy roads all over the place. I was just like. You guys left during the night? Yeah, well, yeah, then the wedding ends in the night. So I was like, hey, who leaving now? I'm like, I'm leaving with you. Let's go. I'm going to follow your car back out of here. Yeah, like, you need to be part of a, a contingent of a caravan, 10. Caravan, yeah. I was uh-huh. like, I need a caravan to get out of here. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that was one of my challenges because when I worked in South Carolina, like I did a lot of road trips to mainly to Charleston, but to other places like in South Carolina. And so that was one conversation that I had with the principal in my office. I was like, look, I don't feel comfortable driving to these places and coming back late at night. And their conversation was like, oh, everybody does it. Like everybody in the company does these trips. You should be fine. And I'm like, look, I'm telling you, I don't feel comfortable. So I don't want to stay in a hotel till the next day or not go on the trips. And he felt that I was making too much of a big deal of it. There was nothing to be worried about because, of course, his daughter drove around by herself. I'm like, your daughter doesn't look like me. It's not going to be the same experience. You told him that? Yeah. And what he said when you said that? He was like, he still kept pushing the issue. There's nothing to worry about. Mm, He's like, you're a woman. People will help you if something happens to your car. And I was just like... Mm. This is crazy. So after I mentioned it a couple of times to him, then he was like, well, we need to talk to HR. And the HR lady was like, oh, I drive there all the time. I go, you know, travel to Charleston, other places. What was the point in talking to HR? It came to a stalemate. It was a, well, he was trying to say that it's probably bigger than him. And that, you know, not all the projects could afford me having a hotel to stay there. And so after talking to HR, it came to a stalemate. HR was like, well, you know, let us know what you want to do. And I'm like, what do you mean? You already did. Yeah, I'm like, (laughs) I don't feel comfortable. So that's why I was just like, this clearly is going nowhere. So just don't put me on these projects unless it includes a plane flight. Like put me, I could do out of state projects because I'm going to get on a plane and go. But, you know, then it became an awkward situation because of course I was like a project architect manager. And so it's like, how do you not go to the project, right? So, but then of course, then they had downsizing. And of course, you know, if you have a controversial candidate, who better to downsize, right? <laughs> so. Yeah, and I mean, you know, that you ultimately have to do what's in your best interest, safety, because you know they're not they're not in your shoes, so he's not qualified to evaluate that situation. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And it it was ever it was made ever so clear to me one time. I was when I was teaching at Kansas State, the you know, 
it was Black History Month and the, 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 the students there, the Black students there, put together this kind of diversity conversation. And there was this one white faculty member who came there, you know, he was not really listening to what the students were saying. They said every time they walk out of their door, they think, of, they think about the color of their skin. They're, they're reminded that they're black. And he said he doesn't, he doesn't get it. Every time he walks out, he just walks out. And so that's the point. You have the luxury of not having to think about that, but he, he still didn't get it. Everything, and, and I, it's a lesson for everybody really, because we really can't expect a white person, a white man, white woman, whatever it is that's not like us, to understand our fears and concerns. We are ultimately responsible for that and have to act accordingly because they can't protect us we are the ones responsible for that. Even if they're well-intentioned, and a lot of them are, but the, the, the reality is that, you know, it just takes one bad person or one person who means you harm. And that goes for any race, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I think it's, it's really horrible, but like, you know what happened in um, Rwanda, which is in like our time, pretty much. It, to me, stuff like that is incredibly scary because I know everybody thinks that we can never get to that place here. But in the back of my mind, it's kind of like, like, you know, when they're shooting in a movie theater, now you go in, you look for the exits first. Thing You're talking about you the down. genocide? Right. Yeah. Okay. So it's kind of like if something like that were to kick off in the U.S. right now, in the back of my mind, I'm always thinking, OK, is there one person of sort of another race or something that I can trust that will hide me in their basement or somewhere? And, you know, it's hard to think because it's like sometimes you think, OK, it might be this one person. If something kicks off, hey. I need you to hide me. Will they do that or will they feel that it's putting them and their family at too much risk, you know? But I mean, I just pray to God nothing like that happens here, but it's it's real because a lot of the things we never thought were possible are happening right now. Well, you know, I mean, I think part of it too is that it's always been there. Well, yeah, it's just coming out. I mean, I think we never really realize it because it's now it's here. And you're like, okay, well, where did this come from? Well, it was always there. Yeah. And it just now got a little bit of fertilizer and water and (laughs) And a a little support. And you're right. A little spark. Lighter fluid. (laughs) That's crazy. Mm -hmm. Okay. On that note, ladies, I'll let you go. It's almost two o'clock. All right. All right, thank you. Okay, so thank much. you okay. for sharing it with us. Thank you so much. You're right. welcome. You're welcome. Bye. Bye. Hey, listeners. I have an exciting announcement. I decided to launch a membership program for the show where you have a chance to support me and the show directly. I love creating the show, and it means the world to me that you all tune in to keep hearing me week after week but it takes an immense amount of time and energy to produce. I wanna keep the show going and I want to invest in its growth. And I also want you to become a partner with me in this journey. That's why I'm excited to give you a chance to officially become a supporter of the show at glow.fm slash archispolly, A-R-C-H-I-S-P-O-L-L-Y, or by clicking the link in the show notes. It's quick and easy. It takes less than 30 seconds and just takes clicking a link in the show notes and using Apple or Google Pay. You don't have to create any new logins and you can contribute as much or as little as you like. If this show is part of your day or week and you like what I'm doing, 
then visit glow.fm slash archespolly, all one word, and support me and the show in any way you can today.